The Wicked Smart Sports Guys is brought to you by SunmaxBatteries.com, the go-to website for all your battery needs. Sunmax Batteries carries a full line of super heavy-duty ultra-alkaline lithium and button cell batteries. Sunmax Batteries compares them quality to well-known national brands, and the best part, Sunmax Batteries are priced much lower than their competitors. Flashlights, remote controls, gaming controls, headphones, digital cameras, hearing aids, smoke alarms, whatever device you need a battery for, Sunmax has the best batteries at the best price for your device. You can order a 24-pack, 24 batteries, AA, AAA, your choice, heavy duty, for only $5.99, or a 24-pack of Ultra Alkaline, ideal for all kinds of gaming and high-tech devices, at just $12.99. Those prices are crazy. $5.99 for 24 batteries, AA or AAA, whatever one you want. That's crazy. And you can order today and use coupon code BOSTON to save 20% off those prices. So all of a sudden, those batteries are like $4.80. That's a steal, okay? So go to sellmaxbatteries.com, use coupon code BOSTON. That's all uppercase, BOSTON at checkout, and save big today. Sellmaxbatteries.com, C-E-L-L-M-A-X-Batteries.com, the official sponsor of the Wicked Smart Sports Guys. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Wicked Smart Sports Guys podcast. Thanks, as always, to Dolly Dreams for the intro music. This week, we're going to talk about the Celtics. Now, the NFL season, the Patriots are out. The, the conference championships are coming up. College football season has just ended, so basketball is really starting to be everyone's focus, and we're going to talk Celtics, update you on their situations, and the All-Star picks as All-Star weekend fastly approaches. We're, we're only... A week left of voting. Voting closes in a week. So if you want to get Brown or Tatum in or Kemba Walker or Taco Fall, you got to get those votes in now. And we're going to be doing that with Guy Boston Sports writer, Celtics writer, Max Lissette. Max, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me back. It's an uh, exciting time of year. And I feel like it was only about a week or so ago that I was writing my early or way too early all-star picks. And now here we are, like you said, uh, just one week away from the end of voting. So uh, really exciting time of the year. Yeah, we'll get to the All-Star in a second. I want to start with the Celtics' current standing right now because they did have that three-game losing streak last week, and they come back. They, they get wins against some easy teams, the Bulls and the Pelicans here. And, of course, Jason Tatum putting up a career-high 41 points uh, against the Bull, or against the Pelicans. rather. And he's kind of quietly making a case here for, you know, player of the week or something something along those lines. I, I think... Uh, I, you know those those are those aren't going to line up because I think he had that game on Saturday, so unfortunately maybe not. But I mean he's having a great week so far here. So, uh, but the Celtics standing in the East right now they are in second, uh, just ahead of the the Heat. It's it's very close there. But I want to talk about the East for for a couple reasons. One because they're in second right now, and I want to talk about how that's going to play out and shake out going forward. But for another reason is because the East is as good as it's ever been right now. I mean th- there are six teams in the Eastern Conference on pace to win 50 games as we're, you know, roughly halfway through the season here. I mean, that, that is absurd. I mean, that's something you do not see out of the Eastern Conference, uh, you know, six teams to be that good. I think, you know, I, I looked it up, and I think they haven't had even three teams win 50 games since, like, 2009 or something like that. So uh, this is pretty big for the Eastern Conference right now, and it's really impressive just to see, you know, how, how good all of these teams are. A lot of people look at the Sixers and say, wow, I mean, look how terrible they're doing. They're the sixth seed right now, but they're still on pace to win, like, about 50 games. So, I mean, it's not as much, to me, about how bad they've been. It's how good the rest of the East has been, really. Yeah, I think when you look at how close things are for, you know, the the teams two through six there, it kind of makes sense that people get really frustrated with the Celtics' uh, losses to teams like Washington or uh, San Antonio, even though San Antonio has been playing better. But 
you know, I, I think the overreactions were a little bit much to those losses. But at the same time, when you look at the fact that you've got, you know, the Sixers just uh, three and a half games back of the Celtics, and they're going to figure things out at some point, you'd imagine. You got the Pacers without Oladipo three games back of them. You got the Raptors struggling with injuries, uh, only two and a half games back of the Celtics. Uh, and you look at how tight all of those teams are, you know, you, you can't really uh, be losing games like they did uh, during that three game losing streak. Um, so yeah, the overreactions were a little bit much, but when you look at how close things are, it kind of makes sense that people are frustrated with uh, bad losses like that. Yeah, I mean, the Spurs loss was one thing, right? Kemba gets ejected. The Spurs are at least a competitive team. They are fighting for the eighth seed out west, so and any they're a well coached team, you know, you're gonna have trouble with the Spurs. The Washington loss is really the one you can't lose, okay? Because you know, you didn't have Kemba in that game, sure, but Washington's the worst defensive team in the league. I mean, they're I think they're giving up almost one hundred and twenty points a game. And they scored 94 points against Washington that game. You just, you need to be better than that. And that's really where the offensive issues were most glaring in that past week where people were talking about, you know, and I mentioned it, Kevin O'Connor mentioned it, just how lackadaisical, how lack of urgency in the offense, lack of off-ball movement. I mean, it was just so stagnant. And that was something that a lot of people noticed. And it got better, obviously. They put up 140 against the Pelicans, so they kind of turned it around there. But that week was just, I mean, a really shaky week offensively for them. Yeah, I mean, when you, it's a little early to start looking at, you know, playoff matchups and stuff, but when you look at how close the Eastern Conference is and you look at, you know, those teams outside of the top six, the teams that are going to be fighting for like seven and eight, uh, such as Orlando, Brooklyn, and maybe even Charlotte, uh, and you look at, you know, how big of a gap there is between those teams and then the teams that are fighting for two through six, uh, you really do realize how important it is to get that two seed. Um, coming into the season, I think everybody kind of, pegged the Celtics as the third seed. Um, maybe maybe some of the more optimistic of us of us thought that they could fight for that two seed. But now that that's within reach, you know, they really have to go all out for that two seed if they don't want to be stuck in a first round playoff matchup with somebody like uh, Indiana or Philadelphia, Miami or Toronto. Yeah, and, and you're right. I mean, the gap there is absolutely massive. And I think it'll be interesting with the Nets. I mean, that would be an incredible playoff matchup. I mean, that would be... I, I know that you were saying before the podcast that you weren't sure that, you, you know, you would rather see the Magic than the Nets because the Nets, you know, you know, they still have Kyrie Irving. And, I mean, you didn't mention this, but who knows if Kevin Durant were to come back. I know they've ruled him out, and it's probably unlikely. But you never know. I mean, you know, we're still months away from that. And I, I guess I, I want to just throw that out there as a possibility. So that, that could be a potential issue you could be facing. But at the same time, a Kyrie Irving versus the Celtics playoff matchup, especially where the Celtics are heavy favorites, that would be amazing. Um, amazing, like, just uh, entertainment across the board to see that. And in that situation, I mean, people kept saying Kyrie doesn't show up to his former teams. He would have to show up in that event if, if it was a playoff series. Like, could you imagine what the situation that would play out if he didn't, if he missed, skipped playoff games in Boston? I mean, that would just never happen, but it, it, that's just the, the situation it sets up is just so amazing and such an NBA, beautiful NBA matchup that I, I can't help but, but be dying for that matchup. And the fact that it's lining up, that that is a strong possibility right now, is uh, beautiful to me. I, I think I, now that we're really looking at it, this podcast, and looking at how the standings could play out in a potential playoff picture, that is what I want more than anything. I want a Boston Celtics first Brooklyn Nets first round playoff matchup. I mean, as you're talking about it, I've literally got goosebumps for me right now just thinking about the atmosphere that that would bring. I mean, it would be the ultimate this league moment. 
But I got to say, somebody on Twitter was saying something along these lines a couple of weeks ago. A first round matchup between the Celtics and the Nets would almost have the potential to be bad for Boston solely because there would be so much energy and drama put into that first round series that then if they were to move on, you know, you find yourself up against uh, Milwaukee or Philly or whoever would be in the second round. And, you know, you don't want to have drained all of that energy uh, in a first round series. But, you know, who's to say how that would go? I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves there, but man, that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, I don't care. I'm sorry. I, <laughs> I really don't care about the, the implications later in the playoffs. I would be salivating for that. And honestly, the Nets still, as long as they're not getting Kevin Durant back, they're just, they're not to the caliber of these other teams. So if you're talking about, if people, I don't think it makes a lot of sense to say, well, I'd rather have Indiana. Because, I mean, all those series are going to have drama too. If you play Indiana, you play them last year. There's some drama in that. You play Philly, obviously there's drama every time you play Philly. I wouldn't disparage you if you picked Indiana over Brooklyn, even though I think Indiana's a vastly better team and they're getting all the depot back. Like, there's a big talent gap there. But if you want to say that the Nets series is still more stressful, I guess fine. I feel like a Philly series, when you factor in the talent and the uh, you know rivalry there, that Philly series would be you know more stressful than a Brooklyn Nets series. So I would take that Brooklyn Nets series for two reasons. One, because it's the easiest or second easiest matchup you can have in the first round. And the television would be amazing. It would be wonderful to watch. So... Uh, you know, I would definitely go. I, I, I'm, di- I'm dying to see that right now. I just that's what I need most in the NBA playoffs. I need that matchup. Let, let's move on here. Let's continue kind of on this uh, topic and, and in some way with the, the All Star voting because Kyrie Irving right now he's played 15 games and he's still ahead of Kemba Walker in the All Star voting. Okay, Ky- Kyrie is second right now as the East's second starting guard and Kyrie is uh, or Kemba is third. Um, so I, this is interesting because. Obviously, the NBA made the rule a couple years ago that fan voting, that they lessered the, the importance of it, so it only counts for, I think, 50%, and then the players and media handled the other 50%. So I, I just want to get your thoughts because I don't think Kemba, I, I don't think uh, Kemba's going to lose his spot to Kyrie with the amount of games Kyrie has played. I mean, that would just be criminal, but I, I think that the, the media is going to come through and say, all right, Kemba deserves this spot over Irving, and maybe even over Trey Young, maybe they give him the nod over him as well. So, I, I mean, I, I know that, Trey Young's having a fantastic season. I would certainly put him in as a starter uh, just for what he's doing statistically, even though his team's not having the same success. But I think Kemba's going to get that spot. But I, I don't know. I'm a little concerned right now that maybe just on, on name recognition and star power that Kyrie's going to get this spot, even though he doesn't really deserve it. Yeah, like you said, uh, the fan voting is obviously, I think, only 50% of the uh, the voting totals. And in, in the past, we've seen these guys like Taco Fall and Caruso this year. Uh, they get all these fan votes, but then the media kind of balances things out and they don't end up making the game obviously i'm hoping that that's going to be the case here and that the media is going to save us from the fan vote and make kemba walker the starter but let this be a reminder to everybody that there are only six days left until voting ends and as of the last returns kemba was only about twenty thousand votes behind Kyrie. so if we all get out there maybe we can do our part to uh change that fan voting around so that the media doesn't have to come in and save us from that uh as much but yeah, I mean, Kyrie, as of the time that voting ends, he'll have only played about 15 games. And it, it is kind of ridiculous that, you know, just based off his name recognition, he's probably still going to end up as that top vote getter or maybe second behind Trey Young. I remember last year, or maybe it was the year before, people were debating this with Chris Paul. And Chris Paul had played like 20, 25 games. And people were saying, well, has he played enough? So I, I don't think there's any situation where Kyrie can can be justifiably make it in the eyes of the media. Uh, I, the players is what I'm concerned about too, because I think I, I think the media will be rational and say, well, he hasn't played enough. 
I feel like both the fans and the players are going to look at it and say, well, Kyrie Irving's this great player and he deserves the spot and they're going to vote for him just based on, you know, the fact that he's very popular with players. A lot of players like him, even Celtics players, you see hugging him after the game and stuff like that. He's he's very popular among those guys, you know, just because they, they wear shoes and they love his game and everything like that. So, I mean, I, I'm still concerned about that. I still think Kyrie has a shot for those reasons. I, the, me, the media is the only group I trust to not put him in. Yeah, and let it be known, he definitely came back. I mean, at least in my opinion, I think he came back right in time to try and play enough games uh, to qualify. You know, I think if he had sat out a couple more, then we're probably looking at it as a situation where it's just easy uh, to kind of cast him aside. I think he came back, you know, right in time to get enough games in to make it, you know, a tough decision for people. Uh that's just my opinion. I think it was it probably was calculated a little bit to come back and uh, uh, play enough games. Well, I, I'm not gonna say that for sure because <laughs> I, I, I be, only because I still don't think he's gonna have played enough games. I mean, I, I think he would have had to come back a week, a week and a half ago to 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 really say, well, he, he's maybe played enough. I still don't think it's gonna be even close to a playing enough games. And but I don't totally rule it out because. Last year, we saw how important playing in the All-Star game was to Kyrie. I mean, we, you know, he, he missed the last couple Celtics games, then he played in the All-Star game, and obviously it was a big deal. Maybe people made a big deal about it. Uh, you know, I didn't think it was a huge deal if he's healthy, play, whatever. But, I mean, you know, we, we definitely saw that being in that game is important to Kyrie, being around all his friends and whatever else, and, you know, putting on a show on, on this stage. So, you know, I, I, I don't totally rule it out. I think, uh, we, you know, we've seen kind of that, that, that Kyrie is, is an important event for him. Um, let's talk about the other two guys in contention for an all-star spot, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. A lot of debate over who really deserves it. I think Tatum has kind of taken back control of that in these last uh, couple games where he's put up 41 and 21, you know, these crazy, uh, you know, you know, 20 was not that crazy, but good scoring nights and, uh, vaulting himself ahead of Brown. But for a second there last week, it was Jalen Brown who uh, vaulted himself over Jason Tatum, I think, in a lot of people's eyes to make the all-star team. Honestly, I don't think both are going to make it. I only think one's going to make it because I, I, I mean, look at the list. I mean, I think Kemba and Trey Young are going to make it. Giannis, Joel, Siakam, Butler is. I mean, those guys are pretty much locks to me. And then uh, something less than locks, but still, for all intents and purposes, pretty much locks to me are you got Chris Middleton, Ben Simmons. I, I, I think Middleton, his stats are his PER is slightly ahead of Brown and Tatum's. His stats are slightly better. And he's on the best team in, in the East. So uh, putting a third guy on the Celtics in over a second guy on the Bucks who's playing better just isn't going to happen. So I think Middleton gets the nod over them. Ben Simmons, Beal. And then I, I had some debate over Andre Drummond and Sabonis. I'll, after looking at it a little closer, I guess, I, I'm actually going to put Sabonis in over Drummond. I think Sabonis are in that spot. And they're going to have to put someone in from the Pacers just with how well they played. And Sabonis is the guy to do. So, I mean, Sabonis is going to get that spot, I think. When you look at the Pacers' record and his numbers, it's it's just it does, wouldn't make sense for him not to make it. So the media is going to make sure he gets in. Um, if he gets snubbed again, it's going to be because of the fans and the media, because or the fans and the players, because he might not have that same star power that other guys do. Um, so overall, those are 10 guys I just listed. Sabonis, Middleton, Simmons, Beal, Butler, Siakam, Joel, Giannis, Trey Young, Kemba. I think all those guys are in. Then there are two more spots left for about seven guys. Bam Adebayo, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Kyle Lowry, Kyrie Irving, Zach Levine, Andre Drummond. So out of those two, I think I would lean Bam and Tatum. 
you know, I, I think that's the way I, I'd, I'd go with those guys. I think those guys have, you know, the be- the best teams, you know, so obviously second and third te- seed in the East, uh, get a second player in from those two teams. They both played really well. That's where I'd lean. So I just don't see Brown, a third player from the Celtics, making it. I just don't think they've been good enough. If they were the one seed, you can make a serious case. You, sh- you should have three players from that, that them uh, on the team. I just think, I mean, it's so close between Brown and, and all these other guys. I, I just, I don't think you can give them the nod over some of them. I don't think you can give the Celtics third player. It's, it's just a huge statement to give a team three all-stars. And the Celtics just not quite that good. Not quite that good. Yeah, I agree with pretty much everything you just said right there. I know there's a couple guys like uh, Simmons and uh, uh, maybe Middleton as about as of about two weeks ago, but now I totally agree that he deserves to get in. But, you know, there's a couple guys like Simmons that we might have to debate on. Uh, you know, I, I think maybe Simmons has kind of earned his way in over the past week or two. Uh, but, yeah, I pretty much agree with all of the selections you said there. Um, Middleton, like you said, definitely deserves to be in because, you know, the Bucks are just so dominant. It would not make sense for them to only have one all-star and for other teams to have, you know, two in consideration like the Heat, the Celtics, maybe even the Pacers. Um, but when it comes to Tatum and Brown, I, I think that there was a legitimate case up until maybe about the new year for Jalen uh, over Jason. I was always Jason over Jalen, but I, I definitely saw the argument for Jalen. Um, and then over the past week, he's kind of been entering this slump where he's only shooting 37% from the field and 34% from three, um, averaging, you know, a couple less points per game, only averaging 17 as opposed to about 21 uh, up until the new year. And his rebounds are down about, you know, a, a rebound and a half per game. So he's, he's in a little bit of a slump. But I was always kind of Jason over Jalen just because of the entire impact of Jason, you know, on the court, both ends of the floor. Uh you know, all of the advanced metrics and the plus minuses, all of that stuff just points to, you know, Jason having this monstrous impact on like pretty much anybody on the Celtics, including Kemba Walker. And so, uh, you know, overall, I've, I've kind of always been on the Jason over Jalen side, um, but I definitely saw the case for Jalen up until about the last week. All right. Well, I think that's how it's going to shake out. So who do you have? I want to hear your list. I, just, I gave my list. Who are your 12 All-Stars real quick in the Eastern Conference? So my starters are probably uh, Kemba. Uh, Beal, even though I wish I could put Butler in there over Beal, but they have him listed as a uh, front court player. Uh, so Kemba, Beal, uh, Siakam, even though he's only played 28 games, uh, Giannis, and then Joel Embiid. Uh, then I got to pick seven reserves. Not sure uh, if there is a requirement for you know front court, back court, uh, how many players have to be chosen of each uh, for the reserves. But my seven reserves would probably be uh, Tatum, Jimmy Butler. Uh, Chris Middleton, and then Sabonis. So I'm at four right there. Got three more spots. Um, I'm going Bam Adebayo. So I got two more spots. Uh, And then it gets really tough. You know, like you said, there's this whole group of guys, whether it's Dinwiddie, uh, Kyrie, um, Ben Simmons, even his teammate Tobias Harris. There's this whole grouping of guys. I think that Kyrie's probably just going to get a reserve spot. uh, Even I don't think you mentioned Trey Young yet. You're right. I did skip over Trey Young. I think he's going to get in there, even though I do kind of take issue with his team being seven and twenty-nine. So I'll give him that spot. And then we got one more spot. I'm I'm probably just going to give it to Kyrie. I know, you know, I personally don't love the fact that he's probably going to get in with about twenty twenty-five games played uh, as of the time that the reserves are chosen. But you know, I I just don't see the media uh, skipping over him if they were to. You know. 
uh, it's tough for me to leave out Ben Simmons, so I'd, I would probably pick him as the uh, the last guy there. But yeah, I, I think that the, the two hardest choices for me are Kyrie and Trey Young, just because of uh, for Kyrie games played and for Trey uh, team wins. Yeah, I just I hate the precedent of putting in a guy who's played that few games. I mean, like I said, I I, I just I think there's there's a limit. I think it. You need to have played it. I'd say Siakam is right at that line. Yeah. You know, Siakam is who we should be debating. Well, has he played enough games? It shouldn't be Kyrie. Kyrie hasn't played enough games. I mean, that's just end of story to me. I, I I don't think that's even close. How his team has played without him is a huge factor too. So we'll have to see how the media decides to do that. I think they'll still keep him out. I just think I've seen that argument be used before, and I think it's a pretty easy one to use. And I, I think the guy they'll really use it for to, to really champion is Sabonis. I think that... Because Sabonis is the one that needs championing the most from the media, probably to to get a spot in. But we'll we'll see how this ends up shaking out, I suppose. And I would like to see in the future some sort of like requirement of uh, percentage of teams' games played. I know for statistical averages at the end of the season, for like points per game, rebounds per game, assists per game, a, a player has to have played in fifty eight games on the season for his numbers to qualify, and that equals out to about seventy point seven percent of the team's games. Um, most of these teams are probably going to have played at least like 45 to 50 games by the All-Star uh, break. So I would like to see every player have played at least like 35 of those games to uh, qualify. Yeah, I mean, I would even put it a little lower, like 30. 30 games is, I mean, yeah. and, you know, that's a little lower than what you were saying about the 70%, but it's, you know, uh, I mean, it's about 67% if they played 45. So, you know, I, and I, I just, I think that's where the line has to be. It's just, it's absurd to play. Kyrie's played, not going to play 20. I mean, that, you know. Yeah. So if he gets in, it's all on name recognition. And that's fine, I guess. I mean, I, you know, if that's, I mean, however you want to do it, if you want to give him it because he's the, has the star power, go ahead and do it. I just... I mean, all-stars, when, when you're talking about all-star selections, these are things that matter for guys in the Hall of Fame, in contract talks, and you have to have earned it to me. You can't just be given it because yeah. uh, based on past performance. It has to be something you earned that year, and that's why I, I would not give it to Kyrie. He has not earned it this year. Yeah, and that, that's why when I see people saying, you know, oh, uh, Trey Young and Kyrie and these guys should be in the all-star game because it's supposed to be fun, we want the uh, fans to watch it, we want people interested... You know, I get that. I understand that. But like you said, it does have implications on whether guys get into the Hall of Fame, uh, contract implications and things like that. So, uh, you know, it definitely means a lot to these players, especially like the borderline guys that might only get in once or twice during their career. And so I do think that sometimes, you know, we can't just be picking who's the the flashiest players and the most exciting. You know, we we do have to kind of give it to guys that earn it. All right, so uh, another thing we want to talk about real quick is that Evan Singleton over at Guy Boston Sports, he wrote about trade possibilities for the Celtics. A lot of people talking about the fact that Celtics need a, you know, a center. He's talking about Celtics need a bench score, and that's something that's been a popular sentiment around uh, the team is that they need more bench scoring. And, and uh, you know, we've talked about in the past, people want the idea of bringing you know, Brown or Hayward off the bench so, so that he can, they can be their bench scorers. And we don't need to talk about that argument again because we've talked about it in the past. We don't think we, you stagger the minutes. You have enough scoring, and I, I mean that's that's the way I feel. They have enough scoring; they don't need a bench scorer. Now they they, they don't need someone like Fred Van Fleet or Terry Rozier, right? They don't need another guy with the ball in their hands. Now, if you want to say that they need to bring in a shooter, like a, a guy I looked up, like Trevor Ariza, three and D guy, he would be great for the team. I mean, a, a guy like that, I could see you make an argument for. But I don't want a ball dominant guy like you. you I know that this is just the, the, the peak of the peak. You don't need 
a Lou Williams sixth man, or, or even a guy who resembles that in any way, a Van Fleet or, or Rozier, like I said. You don't need another guy with the ball in their hands. You have enough guy who need, guys who need the ball in their hands. If you want a spot-up shooter to kick it out to, fine, but they they don't need a pure scorer. The way that people are describing a bench scorer makes me think Jamal Crawford or, or that type of guy. You don't need a sixth man. You need maybe a shooter, but that's it. Yeah, the last time I checked, the Celtics were like 16th or 18th in the league in three-point percentage, so... I would like to see, you know, maybe a uh, spot-up shooter, like you said, but definitely not a ball-handling guy. We've got Smart. We've got uh, Hayward, who he'll split some time with that second unit. Uh, Tatum, guys like that, that you just don't need that bench guy that kind of has a big head or, um, you know, has bigger expectations about his role than maybe what he needs to be doing. Um, I I do like the idea of just like a spot-up shooter. I've seen, obviously, the Bertans talk. Uh, John Corrales of Locked on Celtics mentioned Bielitsa from the Kings as an option. Just somebody like that who's like a 6'8 type of guy, 6'8", 6'10", spot-up shooter out there on the wing who maybe he could give you like 15 points here and there, uh, just like a little spark off the bench. But nobody that's going to be kind of coming in and expecting any type of major role or ball-handling duties or anything like that. Yeah, but even Bielitsa, I mean, he he's going to require like 10 shots a game. And is that really like, I, I don't think I want to put another 10 shots to the game in that equation we were doing before the season of like how the shots are getting doled out. So, I mean, a guy that could be kind of interesting to me if he's replacing, you know, Wanamaker or something like that, I don't think he'd be available. But Patty Mills, I mean, after what he did to the Celtics, you know, when he was with uh, Team Australia over the summer, that was kind of scar- scarring. But I mean, he would be a, a type of guy that, you know, can come in as a backup point guard, right? you know, a very solid player and a, obviously a great spot-up shooter if they, he plays off ball. So, I mean, that's the type of player that I would like them to have. I, I just, I don't want someone more than that. Patty Mills is about the line of like the most um, kind of ball handling and, and responsibility on the offense that I would be willing to, to give up to a bench player. Yeah, and the other thing I would say is that, you know, we still don't know what Romeo Langford is going to be and he's shown some flashes of, you know, being able to hit some shots and play defense, kind of be this 3 and D guy off the bench, you know, if he does develop this season uh, to the point where he can give us effective minutes. Um, We've seen Grant Williams start to knock down some threes, and he's obviously always been capable at pretty much everything else on the floor. And then even Carson Edwards, he just got sent down to to Maine uh, to the G League. But, you know, if if he at some point is able to kind of get in rhythm there in the G League and come back and be effective off the bench, you know, maybe that answer is uh, somewhere in the Celtics system already and they don't have to actually go out and uh, acquire somebody else. All right, so coming up this Thursday, the Celtics are going to play the Bucks. Uh, they have one game before that uh, against some some nobody team that we don't really need to worry about. But the Bucks game is the big one on <laughs> Thursday. It's, it's the second uh, game. They're playing the Pistons tomorrow, so it should be pretty pretty easy win there. Um, but uh, the Bucks game is Thursday. That's the big game, obviously. They beat them earlier this season. It was one of the best games of the season still to this point. And they had that huge second half. I think it was their highest scoring half of any kind. I think I, t- I tweeted about it earlier this this week, uh, this season. It's just an inc- it was an incredible scoring output that they ended up putting up against the Bucks. And just uh, so, I mean, this matchup's going to be very interesting. Just uh, looking at that last matchup, they used Marcus Smart a lot against Giannis. I'm excited to see that. See if they they go back to that strategy. How they defend Giannis. 
because that's a big thing. I mean, people have talked about that all season. How are they going to defend Giannis, and how are they going to stop him? They don't have Al Horford anymore. So, I mean, that's probably what I'm most looking forward to in this matchup. How do they defend Giannis? And if they if they are able to slow him down again after what they did against him in the last matchup where they, you know, kind of gave him some, some problems, uh, I, I think that's going to change the narrative a little bit here in relation to the Celtics needing a, a center or needing anything like that because it, the, the one of the big reasons that people say that is because Giannis is the guy you need to defend in the East. If they can do that without one or without trading for another one, then that's a big factor to me. Yeah, I'm really excited for this matchup uh, just to see how they kind of match up with the Bucks, just because the Bucks are this level above everybody else. And uh, a couple days after that, actually on Monday, they'll play the Lakers, who I think are also that other team that's kind of uh, a level up on everybody else across the league. Um, one thing that's interesting about the Bucks is since uh, November 8th, which was about a week after the uh, Celtics beat them to give them their second loss. Uh, they lost November 8th to Utah for their third loss of the season, and since then they've been 29-3. and So they've just been just this other level of dominance, you know, even maybe more so than what we saw from them last season. And so I'm just excited to see how the, the Celtics match up with them uh, while they're kind of rolling like this on a complete tear uh, in the Buck Stadium. Uh, that'll be another thing to... to to watch because the Celtics have been 11 and eight on the road this year, not really spectacular. Uh, so I'm really just excited to see how they respond to going into Milwaukee and playing a team that's been like, just just leaps and bounds above the rest of the league. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about a potential Eastern Conference Finals preview. I mean, that's that's kind of what we're looking at here. So that, that's gonna be tremendously interesting. A guy that won't be playing in this game that I, I think could eventually maybe factor in to defending Giannis is is Robert Williams. I mean, you know, and he's been out for a while now here. He's been out for about, uh, I think, six weeks or something like that. Uh, and he, he has this bone enema that's really, I mean, it's, it's concerning at this point. It is because it, I think the, the way that it's described is a, a swelling of the, the, the bone marrow that happens. Uh, I'm, I'm not a doctor, so I'm going to botch this completely. But it's, it's something like the swelling of the, the, an area around the bone uh, after a bone bruise or a bone break or something like that. So, um, it, it's concerning that he's been out this long with this injury. And, and I think Brad Stevens came out just a couple days ago, about five days ago, and said that he is three weeks away from even being reevaluated. So this Robert Williams situation is starting to get a little concerning. And like I said, that's a guy that is probably your best defensive center. And so if you're talking about a guy that can defend Giannis, he's a two-time SEC Defensive Player of the Year. He's a great defensive prospect. I mean, that's someone that I thought at the beginning of the season, like he has the potential to be a defensive ace for you and kind of, you know, help you on that end a lot. And never mind being a rim protector, he is mobile enough that he can guard on the perimeter a little bit as well. So that's a guy I was banking on a lot, helping them defensively. And I mean, this is a scary situation right now for how long he's been out and he, how long he's going to continue to be out. This is becoming a two month plus injury. Yeah, what really stinks about the whole thing is just the inability to, to see him develop and see what you have in him. I mean, every time we talk about trading for a big man, uh, I think all of us kind of forget about the fact that Robert Williams is still, you know, on the roster <laughs> and going to come back at some point. But uh, it just stinks to not be able to see kind of what you have and like plan for the long term future. I mean, whether Hayward stays or goes, uh, you know, let's say he leaves and then you have uh, some money open up. Yeah, you're going to have to pay Tatum, but then you know, maybe you want to uh, look into what big men are available this summer or the summer after. And it all just kind of gets a little more confusing as to what to do when you don't really know what you have in Robert Williams. And so just not being able to see kind of what he could become or what you have in him is 
pretty much the biggest downfall, downfall, I think, to him not being available for this kind of middle chunk of the season. And he really needs that progression. I mean, he's a raw prospect, and there's a lot of things that need to be coached out of his game. So, I mean, him being on the court and getting to learn from those mistakes and working through it and kind of getting polished into the player that they hope he can become was very important this season. Robert Williams' progression was one of the, the sneaky, important things for them this season. And you're right, the fact that he's not out there to, to just progress is one thing, but to learn and to grow, because when he comes back, he's going to have missed all that time that he would have had a chance to work through some of the things that he really needs to you know get out of his game. So, I mean, yeah, that, that is just a huge element to all of this as well. Just that they, they really needed him to, to emerge into and, and kind of take that next step as a player and these setbacks are just not helping at all. So, I mean, that, that's a big thing as, as we, uh, you know, look forward in the season is, is his inability to get back on the court and how, much, how long is that going to take? Because if he can't get out there before the trade deadline, maybe they do have to explore a trade for a center. I know we keep saying they don't need one. If he's going to be out who knows how long, you, you might need another center on the roster because he's supposed to be your backup or very least your, your third string center. So I... Uh, you know, and and Enes Cantor's played great, really, in his absence. I mean, I know a lot of people don't like Enes Cantor. There's Enes Cantor is a hot button topic in Boston. Uh, whether you, you hate him or you like him, you definitely. I mean, there, there really seems to be no middle. I feel like I'm the only person in the middle <laughs> right now who's like getting tugged to both sides. It's like you can't stay in the middle on Enes Cantor. You either need to love him or hate him. And I'm like, I just, I don't really know what to feel. I think both people are a little bit right. Uh, but Ernest Cantor, his rebounds and scoring is great, but he's also one of the worst defenders I've ever seen in my life. So um, I, I, I can't really lean for, too far to either side. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, just that center position w- was, you know, the, the part of the great part about it, that center by committee, Robert Williams is a huge part of that. And if he's not there, that, that does start to become an issue in my mind. Yeah, I mean, I think with Cantor, it really just comes down to, you know, finding that uh, that balance between the points that he gives up and the points that he adds. I mean, I think for every offensive rebound and putback that he has, there might be a uh, defensive let up on the other end where he, you know, allows those points to come right back. But, you know, obviously so far, judging by all of the advanced metrics, all the numbers, it looks like whether it's, uh, you know, the job Canner's doing on the court or the job that Brad Stevens and Canner's teammates are doing to kind of disguise his uh, inabilities, you know, by all means, he's been outperforming the the money that he's making and outperforming the kind of expectations that people had of him. So yeah, I'm I'm not even going to trash him too much. I I did write an article recently about how uh, the defensive improvements, quote unquote, are kind of uh, a facade or a myth at this point. You know, when people say that Kanner's gotten better on the defensive end, it's it's probably more so uh, his teammates around him making up for uh, his liability or Brad kind of masking his uh, inabilities. But uh, you know, at the end of the day, he's he's been exactly kind of what we expected him to be. And, you know, I can't really hate on him because he's definitely outperformed all expectations, especially the last week or so when he's just been absolutely killing it. So you think his five block performances are a fallacy? That's what you're saying? <laughs> well, those those uh, particular games might be outliers. I don't know. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast, guys. Thank you guys for listening. Remember, you can follow Max on Twitter at listmx14. You can follow me on Twitter at KJLGBS. Follow the pod on Twitter at WeGetSmartPod. Check everything over at GuyBostonSports. We're going to have a lot of good stuff coming out. But the Celtics, as the season picks up, I'm going to have some articles coming out soon, too, about the Patriots and among other things. So be sure to check those out. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next week.